Father, we pray that now as we come to your word in this service that you would do that. That you would remind us who you are, that you would remind us who we are, and remind us that you're our God and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Father, do that now. And, you know, anything that's in our minds, we all come with these anxieties and burdens and worries and fears, and they can distract us from hearing your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would calm those and you'd push them off to the side because uh, we want to hear you speak clearly and powerfully this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're continuing our way through John. Um, You can grab your Bible if you have one of these blue Bibles in front of you. It's on page 1,647. Otherwise, we're looking at John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. You know, I saw a a meme, as you're flipping to your pages, I saw a a meme on social media. It wasn't really a meme, because it wasn't making fun. But it was saying that, you know, the two sounds that a pastor loves hearing the most are the voices of children in the congregation and the flipping of Bible pages. <laughs> that's true. We don't get that because I always put the Bible up on the screen, and that's helpful. But I do like hearing pages of Bibles flip. So John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Amen. Now, I don't want you to answer this question out loud. I just want you to answer it in your head. And I want you to kind of remember the first thing that that pops into your mind. Um, What's your biggest struggle right now? Or what's your biggest problem at, at this present moment? You know, we just shared quite a few different prayer requests, and so we know that uh, for many people, the first thing popping into our brain is health issues of family and friends. Um, Maybe we have work issues on our mind. Maybe we have financial struggles right now on our mind. Maybe because our TVs have been completely overtaken by political ads, maybe political issues come to your mind. Um, 
Maybe the Packers come to your mind because they just got beat so badly. Sorry. It's the only thing I'm going to say, but, you know, I just had to. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> if you would have asked, if, I think if you would have asked a first century Jew, like, what's your biggest problem right now? What's, what's the biggest issue you're dealing with right now? The first thing that would have popped into many of their minds was Rome. And they thought Rome was, was their, their biggest problem. Rome was kind of crushing them under their thumb or even like stepping on their throat. Rome was stealing their money through overtaxation. Rome was misrepresenting them, mistreating them. It was just kind of Rome, 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 Rome. That was their biggest problem. And because they saw that as their biggest problem, they were looking for a Messiah to solve that problem. And that's why they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. And, and it's why John the Baptist had to just keep pointing them over and over, saying, that's the guy. And, uh, you know, this interaction, it started off, our passage started off the very next day. So, so last week, John had this interaction with the religious leaders, and now the very next day, this conversation comes up. And, and they're very connected. And so the very next day, John says, he sees Jesus coming toward him, and he goes, there's the guy. That's the guy I've been trying to tell you about. He says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. And so it's John's way of saying, you know this guy I keep telling you about? This guy that's in your midst and you don't know? This is him. This is the guy I've been telling you about for so long. And, and when you take this kind of interaction and you put it in the context of last week, I think there's this sense where John's saying, you remember this guy I told you about? And I said, he's in your midst and you don't even know him? You don't know that this is the Messiah because you're looking for the wrong guy. And I'm telling you, you're looking for the wrong Messiah and I'm telling you this is the guy. And he says it over and over and over again. And, he, and even he builds off of that last interaction. He says in verse 31, I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. You know, remember last week he had this interaction with the religious leaders and they came and they were asking him two questions, right? Who are you? And what are you doing? Or who are you and why are you baptizing? And now the next day, John says, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know why I'm baptizing, it's all about this guy. He's the reason I came. It's about Jesus. You want to know why I'm baptizing? This is the guy. This is the reason I'm baptizing. I've, I'm here. I'm here on this earth, and I've been sent by God to point you to Jesus. He's, he's the answer to all of the questions that you've been asking. And, you know, and John has a level of confidence. You know, it's interesting. These first few verses of John, we see this absolute confidence of John the Baptist in who Jesus is. But we know, if we know the story, eventually John 
questions and goes, well, is he the guy? But there's this moment here where John has this confidence that this is the Messiah because God told him what to look for, right? In verse 33, he says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John says, I've been sent by God to, to, to point you to Jesus, to point you to the Messiah. I've been sent by God to baptize. And God himself told me, be on the lookout for someone. When you see the Holy Spirit descend on someone and remain on that person, then you will know that's the guy. And John says, I saw it happen. I saw the Spirit descend on him. I saw the Spirit remain on him. This is the guy. And the interesting thing is, John's gospel, that's all it says. Every other gospel tells the full story of Jesus being baptized, but John just leaves it to John the Baptist's witness because it's a book all about witness. But I want to I wanna go into Matthew and just read this story because so much of what happened at Jesus' baptism is connected with what we're seeing here. So in Matthew, we read this. When Jesus was baptized, he was baptized by John the Baptist, Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. There's more to the story, but that's the part where John's saying, Guys, I was there. (laughs) I was right there. I was the one baptizing Jesus. I saw it. I saw the dove come down and and land on him and remain on him. And the fact that the Spirit remained on Jesus meant that he was filled with the Spirit and his ministry would be done in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, I saw saw it happen. And, And I think John heard the voice where God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Which is why eventually John goes on and he says, guys, this is the Son of God. Why? I heard God Himself say it. This is my Son. And God told me, look for the One that the Spirit's going to descend and remain. And John's like, I was there. I saw it. This is the guy. You're looking for the wrong Messiah. But this is the guy. And, and what's interesting is, you know, in, in John's Gospel, it tells us that, that God like spoke specially to John and said, look for this One who the Spirit's going to descend and remain. So John knew that. But, but God was, had been telling his people that that was going to happen with the Messiah anyways. It's all throughout the Old Testament. So uh, Isaiah 11, verse 1 said, There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It's talking all about the Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so it wasn't just John who was supposed to be looking forward to this, the spirit descending and remaining on the Messiah. Everybody should have known that that was the case because it was clear throughout Scripture. But they didn't see him. They didn't know. They weren't looking for that. Why? Because they were looking for the wrong Messiah. And so John keeps saying, this is the guy, right? This is the Son of God. I've seen it with my eyes. I've, I've heard it with my ears. And it's also why 
he can say at the very beginning of this, he can make this really bold proclamation that I think is probably the, the central proclamation of the entire Gospel of John. And this morning as I was thinking about it, probably the central proclamation to all of the Apostle John's writings, the book of Revelation and all of his letters, it's his beginning thing. It says, The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's an incredible statement. And John can make that statement with no question in his mind because God told him <laughs> to be on the lookout for this guy. God had written about it throughout the Old Testament to be on the lookout for this guy. John saw it with his eyes. He heard it with his ears that this is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, but it's that very reason why the leaders didn't recognize him as a Messiah. Because they were not looking for a lamb. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for a Messiah that would come and solve what they thought was their biggest and deepest need which was Rome. And since they thought their biggest and deepest need was Rome, then they thought the Messiah was going to be a warrior or a military leader or someone that was going to come in and solve that problem. And John keeps coming back to them and saying, the Messiah's not a warrior. The Messiah's a lamb. And a lamb that will be slain for the sins of the world. And it's not just any old lamb. He says, behold the lamb of God. And uh, again, it's one of these, we, we hear these phrases all the time. We don't always think, like, what did he not say about these things? Like, why, I was thinking this week, he could have maybe said, this is the lamb of humanity. This is a lamb, like, for people. But it's not. He, he's not a lamb of man. He's not finite. He's not... He's not um, like the sheep or the lamb that's offered daily in the temple. He's not any of those things. He didn't come from the people. He's a lamb of God. Which means he's not like the, lamb, the lambs that have been offered throughout centuries. He's not from among the people. He's, he's eternal. He's infinite. He's, he's the once and for all sacrifice of all sacrifices is what it means that he's the Lamb of God. He, all of the lambs that have been sacrificed throughout history, they all find their fulfillment and point in Jesus. And, and as one of the commentators pointed out this week, this kind of daily sacrifice in the temple, the Jews saw that as kind of foundational to their relationship with God and their communion with God. If that didn't happen, there was no way for them to enter into the presence of God, right? And now Jesus say, and John's saying, Jesus is that lamb now. He's the once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of all your sins. And he's the only pathway you can take to be in relationship and communion with God. And he does that by taking away sin. Um, that's why the Messiah came. He came to take away our sin. Because kind of contrary to our kind of natural inclination, contrary to what pops in our mind right away when we think about our deepest problems or our immediate need, He came to take away sin because our deepest and greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin. 
it's not, it's not financial, actually. It's not actually health. It's not actually our family. It's not actually political. It's sin. And, and we need to really make sure that, that we get that truth kind of deep down in our heart. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's another commentator, he has a really great quote um, that kind of connects all of these dots. He says, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. So he sent us a savior. And again, that's that's why people didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah back then. Um, But it's the same reason why people don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah today. Um, Shoot, that's why we as as Christians don't always even live like we need Jesus on a daily basis because we often fall into this trap that sin is not our biggest problem, that we've got all these other things that we need taken care of. We kind of like to just stick our sin off on the side. Let's not talk about it. Let's not show anybody it. Just shove it over here and pretend like we've got these other issues to take care of. And what happens is when we begin to think that sin's not our biggest problem, then we begin to think we don't really need a Savior, we don't really need a Messiah, and we don't really need Jesus. I've got these problems that need to be taken care of. And so I need to find someone who's going to fix those problems for me. And so we go chasing after all of these other false messiahs to meet what we think are our biggest needs. We need to find someone who can give me a bigger paycheck. We need to find someone who can lead our country better. We need to find someone who can whatever. Because we are ignoring the fact that our deepest, most central need is our sin. And if we really start to dive deep into that claim, we can realize that really, at its core, every difficulty, every problem that we encounter is a result of sin. Another way to say it, sin is the disease and all of these other things are the symptoms. And, and I do want to clarify, I'm not saying that everything bad that has happened in your life is because of your sin. Right? It's not just because you've done bad things, now bad things happen to you. That's not... That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes it's someone else's sin that is causing difficulty in your life. Sometimes it's just living in a world that's been broken by sin that's causing difficulty. But either way, at the core of all of those difficulty, the the root disease that needs to be dealt with is sin. And you can run around trying to chase all of the symptoms nonstop, but you end up letting the disease run rampant. And if you want to deal with sin, you don't need a politician, you don't need an economist, you don't need a doctor, you don't need a better boss, you need a Savior. He's the only one. 
He either needs to address the sin in your own life or he needs to address the sin in someone else's life or he needs to address the sin that has broken the world. But either way, he's the only one who can deal with that sin. That's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And to kind of connect this with last week's message, this is it's why we all need to repent and believe. When, when we're reminded of these types of things, we need to repent. Repent just means turn away. We need to turn away from looking to all these other places for our salvation. We need to repent of thinking that all of these other things are our real problem, our real struggle. And we need to repent and turn away from them and recognize that our biggest need, our deepest need, is our own sin. And then we grab hold of Jesus Christ by faith. We grab hold of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as the Catechism reminded us, not just the sin of the world, but takes care of our sin. Your sin, when you grab hold of Him by faith. And then, you live each day resting in that forgiveness. And You know, I say it a lot, and there's a million different ways you can give that example, but that literally does change every aspect of your life. When you've decided that now in Christ, my biggest, deepest need is taken care of, now, and you're going to rest in that forgiveness for the rest of your life by faith, now the rest of your life isn't spent chasing after all of the false messiahs. The rest of your life isn't spent chasing after all these other saviors. Um, your, your life is spent living by faith, trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and trusting in Christ to lead you, you know, through whatever difficulty we're facing right now. Um, but part of, part of living by faith and, and resting in that forgiveness is, as John the Gospel writer keeps reminding us, and as John the Baptist shows us, is to go out into the world and be a witness, right? As we rest in the forgiveness of Christ in our life, then we go out into the world living by faith, helping other people to see what their biggest and deepest need is. And yet, we recognize that most of the world right now does not think their biggest and deepest need is sin, do they? Especially right now, especially, I mean, this is the the whole goal of every political campaign is to say, your biggest need is to elect me. And if you don't elect me, everything's going to be really, really bad. And so people are, I mean, every, it's all scare tactics, right? Beware. Be afraid. No. We have a God who rules the world. That's not our biggest and deepest need. Underlying all of the fear that they're talking about, guess what? Sin. And so we go out into the world as, as witnesses to a world that thinks our biggest needs are political and financial and all of these things, and we need to go out like John the Baptist and say, look, here's Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know you don't think that's your biggest need right now. I know you don't think that's your biggest problem right now. But let me help you see. Let me help you see what he's done in my life. Let me help you see what he's done in this person's life. Let me, see you what he, let me help you see what he's done throughout history. Let me show you the way that you can find peace and forgiveness and comfort in this life. Uh, 
let me show you Jesus, the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the way that you watch over us, the way that you protect us, the way that you lead us through this life. Father, we come to you confessing this morning, confessing that we often live as if our biggest and deepest need are all these other things and not our own sin. So, Father, we confess that to you. And we confess that we, we, me included, often chase after all these other messiahs, all these other saviors in the world, and as a result end up ignoring you. So, Father, we confess that to you. We ask your forgiveness for that. But, Father, more than forgiveness, we want our hearts to change. Father, we want our hearts to be in line with the reality. We want our hearts to truly know and understand that our sin is that deepest need we have and that that deepest need has been met in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, may your Spirit work in us and help us to to rest in that truth, rest in that as we live out the rest of our lives. But also, Father, may your Spirit open our mouths to proclaim that truth to the world, that they may see that the, the answer to their deepest need is your Son. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come and we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.